You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustan Institute. And joining me is Dr. John Seahorn, who is a professor here at the Augustine as well. And we're going to talk about St. Gregory the Great, one of the most incredible characters in the history of the church. And we have many, many incredible characters in the history of the church. That's, that says something already. I mean, he, he is, he's got to be, and that's why he's got the title, The Great. Not many people get that. And of course, you all know that that's a title that's been sticking more and more to St. John Paul II. Many people consider that he should be called the Great. I, I'm one of them. Uh, for sure, that thinks but, you that... Know, if, if it does stick, uh, Tim, to St. John Paul II, he'll only be, depending on how you count them, the third or the fourth pope, right? So we're talking about St. Gregory the Great. The first one was uh, Pope St. Leo, Leo the Great in the 5th yeah. century, who is an amazing pope for sure. Then we've got Gregory the Great. Some people call Pope Nicholas in the 9th century uh, the great, but that's that's not quite yeah, as that unanimous. Established, yep. So John Paul II, there there are no more between the ninth wow. century and the twentieth. So uh, and all of us know the just the, the the greatness and the impact that Saint John Paul II had mm. uh, on the church, on the world. Uh, he was just one of those larger than life characters who did so much, both in his teaching, what he taught, in his own life of holiness and in the way he had a vision that he guided the church to. And of course, his impact on the world. I mean, he uh, enkindled solidarity movement in Poland and really brought down the Berlin Wall. He, he brought down the Iron Wall and really uh, brought down the Soviet Union and, and communism with his personalism and his hope that he gave to so many people. And I mean, just, it's really remarkable. And what's so exciting is that people don't know Gregory the Great. And that's why John and I are so excited about talking about well, we would be excited if we were just having a private conversation about Gregory because there's so much. We started just five minutes ago, starting to talk about Gregory, and it was just like, oh, we got to talk about that. Oh, we got to talk about that. There's just so much we want to share with you because this was an astounding man. You know, just and and the big picture, and then I'm going to have John kind of give a start an outline of his life, maybe. But you know, here's somebody who is known as he becomes a monk, and he brings to the papacy a reform movement. So he wants to reform the church which is remarkable. That, if, that, if that's all he did, that would be enough to get the title great. But then he's an incredible preacher and scholar of the Word of God. This man knows Scripture like the back of his hand. I mean, he really, really does. I've read several of his books, and, uh, and, and he just has this mastery of the Word of God, which gives him incredible wisdom, and just wisdom beyond what you would find amongst even the wisest of the humans. I mean, he just has that divine wisdom instilled in him. So he's got that great wisdom. He impacted the politics and the structure of his day, just like John Paul did. I mean, he, he's going to save Rome from being sacked several times. He's going to negotiate between the Lombards, who want to keep coming in and pl plundering and looting, and yet the Byzantium Empire in the east, he's got to work with them. And so he's navigating politically and really running Rome and Italy uh, mm -hmm. at the civil level, not just at the sacred level, which is extraordinary. And uh, he, he does so much in terms of other things. He's an incredibly gifted administrator and leader. And uh, in the, he's going to write a book that will be called The Pastoral Rule, which really is one of the earliest books on leadership. 
Um, now, there's earlier ones that were done, um, I think, but more on the sacred office of bishops. He gives a, an insight not only on the sacred office of bishops in that pastoral rule, but really human psychology. He has a profound insight into human psychology that's just extraordinary. When I read the rule, I'm just, it, it, I, I, there's few leadership books that are as deeply insightful on the nature of the human mind and heart and how humanity does with power, well or bad, and how it deals with success or failure. I mean, he, he navigates all those things. And then he's the first great, great uh, moral theologian, in a sense, with his, 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 his commentary on the book of Job, the Moralia, which is just extraordinary. And uh, so there's just so many things we can talk about with this incredible man and a spiritual genius and giant, uh, administrative giant, um, you know, a holy monk, but then also, and, and he has, he comes from a personal, his family had wealth and means, and he gives up, he uses a lot of his wealth to build a series of monasteries. And then he builds one on, on the family hill in Rome, and it's not clear that he was the head of it. He wasn't maybe the abbot, he was so humble. I mean, this guy is just extraordinary, isn't he, John? Uh, he absolutely is. Um, and you covered a lot of ground I know, well, already. I mean, I'm sure I missed a lot yeah. of things. This guy, so he's bigger than the life. Well, and, and you know, one of the things that makes um, uh, Gregory really incredible is uh, the fact that in many ways uh, he was born into um, really difficult times. Mm -hmm. Gregory was born probably in the year 540. And if you know much about Roman history, you know that this is just uh, a matter of decades after the fall of the last uh, Western Roman emperor. Tim, you mentioned the Byzantine Empire, uh, which of course is our word for it, but they simply thought of themselves as the Roman Empire, only centered in Constantinople, right, rather than in Rome. And so when, when, uh, when Gregory is born, the Roman emperor in Constantinople is Justinian, who's one of the most famous, and he, he really saw himself uh, as a kind of architect of society, of culture. I mean, he commissions an absolutely monumental uh, kind of synthesis of Roman law, the Justinianic uh, Code, which is still a kind of touchstone uh, for uh, scholars of, of legal history. He rebuilds um, the Hagia Sophia, mm -hmm. right? And he makes it so incredible. It's the same structure that's standing today uh, is the one that, that uh, was built under Justinian. And he's rumored to have said when he first walked into it, he, lo he looked around and he said to himself, Solomon, I have outdone you. <laughs> and, and you can see why he'd feel that way if, yep. if you can imagine what the Hagia Sophia yeah, would have looked like covered in, in icons and mosaics and filled with... Uh, and, with and many people have probably, certainly some of our viewers have probably visited when they visit Turkey. Right. And uh, unfortunately, just recently, it was reverted back to a mosque by right. uh, the Turks, just uh, Erdogan just yeah, took just, it back. Just a couple weeks ago, yeah. yeah which no, which tragic. is a real tragedy. Um, but another thing that Justinian is known for is uh, the reconquest of many lands that have been lost to different barbarian tribes. So uh, from the Vandals, for example, St. Augustine died as the Vandals were besieging uh, his, his city of Hippo. Uh, and they'd sort of taken North Africa away from the Roman Empire. Justinian, uh, it, well, really the emperors under, or the, uh, the generals under Justinian, um, uh, reconquered North Africa, and they also went for Italy, right? And, and this was actually, um, they, they, they were eventually successful, but it took them forever, and they devastated the countryside, right? And so this is actually the context that 
Gregory is born into. It's a wealthy aristocratic family, very old Roman Christian family, right? Um, but during these really difficult times. So uh, Gregory uh, grows up. We don't know much about his education, but we know he had a very good one. But, you know, part of it, Tim, is that he really hides his own learning. He really, um, he's, he's very averse to anything that's going to look like display or showing off. Yeah. So even though we're sure he studied Virgil and Cicero and all these, all these greats of Latin literature, he doesn't quote them. You know, that's one of the things I, I remember in his writing. He really is afraid of vanity mm -hmm. um, and vainglory. Uh, and he, you know, whether it's in the rule, the pastoral rule, where he talks about the danger of success mm. and uh, prosperity. And he's, he's, you could just see his own feeling about that because here's somebody who started with success mm -hmm. and then he does, you know, monasteries and, and then he becomes a monk, but then he's asked to become Pope and he has success throughout his career and he has to, you know, put himself in check. He's afraid of that. That's something that's one of his... Well, because he thought he'd renounced it, right? Exactly. I mean, so Gregory oh, had sort of risen yeah. through the ranks uh, and he had become prefect of the city of Rome, which is a very important uh, mm -hmm. uh, civil office to hold. Uh, and then at the age of, I think it was when he was um, uh, in his early 30s, in the 570s, he renounces it all. And he becomes a monk at the, uh, the monastery of St. Andrews in Rome. And he's not, he's not the abbot. He's, not a, he's just an ordinary monk. And um, as far as we can tell, he it was his intention. That was, that that was, was it. That, that was, was it. He's, he's made it. Now he's, yep. you know, he's in the solitude. And he'll talk about the burden of governing and administrating oh, and the pastoral rule and later on when he has to become pope because he he didn't want that he want he loved scripture he loved contemplation mm -hmm. and prayer and he had made the sacrifice to leave the world and yet the world didn't leave him and so someone of that kind of talent and holiness gets called out of that and you know i think that's really why gregory is such a genius as a pastor i mean one you know, Tim, you were talking about the pastoral. We've, we've, we've mentioned it several times. Um, and it actually was recognized in his own time as a spectacular book on leadership. In fact, the, the Byzantine emperor, the Roman, Empire, Roman emperor in the East at the time, uh, Maurice was his name, uh, knew Latin and read the pastoral rule. And he was so impressed by it that he immediately ordered it, translated into Greek, and he had a copy made for every bishop in the empire. He said, I want everyone to read Gregory's pastoral rule. This is really the way uh, and, to And that's lead. extraordinary because it, it wasn't a, a matter of buying extra copies. They had to have a scribe hand copy it. Oh, it's a big deal. So was that, was, big deal. that was a big investment yeah. for the emperor to do. And then later on, Alfred the Great does something similar. Right? That's right. Yeah, so, Alfred the Great, if, you know, if I had to make a list of figures in Christian history that I wish were better known, Alfred would be on there. We'll have to do a show on Alfred sometime. We will that do a show on Alfred, yeah. I mean, so kind of a similar thing. Alfred uh, lives in an embattled time. He's... Uh, 300 he's, years uh, later than Gregory? Uh, yeah, about that. About so like mid-9th century, mm -hmm. so in the 800s. So um, he's, uh, he, he's, he's a king in... Um, uh, in, in southern in southern England, yep. right, and um, at a time when uh, they're under constant threat from Viking invasions, and he's even kind of having to hide out for for various times in marshes and things like that. And yet, he knows that it's not enough just to sort of save uh, his kingdom politically. It's important to plant cultural seeds, mm -hmm. spiritual seeds, right, and so. Uh, he, tra he, has, he has all these uh, great Latin texts translated into Anglo-Saxon, or what we know as Old English, 
right, so that uh, Anglo-Saxon leaders can read them and be inspired by them. And, and the pastoral rule is one of them. It, it's an extraordinary. I'm, I'm, some of our viewers are probably saying, all right, so they got it to all the bishops in the Byzantium Empire and then up in England. We need to get it for all of our bishops today. <laughs> it, is, it is powerful, and I hope and encourage any, anybody in leadership, whether a priest mm. or a bishop, to read this rule because it is, it is extraordinary and it's inspiring. And even if you're not a priest or a bishop, I know for me, I, I read it as my spiritual reading for a while, um, and I, I found it very fruitful. So if anybody yeah. who has to lead, whether as a parent or in a business or whatever oh, else, absolutely. It's, it is, it's worth reading spiritually. You know, Tim, I think just maybe providentially, um, this morning I was, uh, we were at adoration down the chapel, and I was, I was looking at uh, Matthew chapter 23, Mm. And Jesus' really harsh words toward the scribes and the Pharisees. But I was really pondering um, the Lord's teaching not to call anyone rabbi, not to call anyone father, not to be called uh, teachers or instructors because we only have one. And, and it occurred to me that this really is uh, the genius of Gregory's leadership, that he was always so, just as you said, he was, he was so um, uh, uh, cautious about vanity and about putting himself forward. And as a spiritual father, as a teacher, as a leader, as a ruler, he always wanted to be transparent mm. to God's leadership, to God's teaching, to uh, God's fatherhood, right? And I, I think that, um, you know, going back to uh, what you mentioned, Tim, his, his desire to retire from the world, uh, I mean, he talks about this tension a lot, but I think it really creates a very powerful and fruitful tension. Right? Gregory came out of the monastery into a pastoral role that he didn't necessarily want. And it caused him to be very thoughtful about how to preach to the people. Um, how, do I, how do I bring, how do I mediate contemplation to people who are living active lives in the world? How do I maintain contemplation now as one who is forced to live uh, an active life in the world? And so that, that tension, and, and in some ways, you know, without wanting to be too negative toward uh, Justinian, uh, the, you know, the, the Eastern emperor at the time of Gregory's birth, sometimes with my students, I'll sort of invite them to, to think about the contrast between Justinian and Gregory. Justinian absolutely understands himself as, like I said, a kind of architect, right? Uh, of, and, he's gonna build, and he wants to build a Christian civilization, a Christian culture. But he's very, let's just say, hands-on about it. Right? He sets these projects and they're going to they're gonna get them done. And, and I don't see in Justinian this, in, in, Justinian actually is, he's probably the best theologically educated emperor that the world has ever seen. Hmm. There, there, are, there are a few and, later on who could you know, rival him. And but. I'll just say for a lot of people who have been to the Holy Land, if you've been to the Church of the Nativity, hmm. uh, he reorientated that church and... and reworked it a bit. So you've seen some of the, some of the, um, oh, if, if you've been in the, the ancient church of nativity, that was redone and remodeled by mm -hmm. the Emperor Justinian. So mm -hmm. you see some of his handiwork. Again, what he was trying to do, build up Christianity in the empire. Yes. Just beautiful. Spectacular achievements. But I, what I, what I don't always see from Justinian is that kind of, um, that kind of reflex to retreat to the cell, right? Mm -hmm. To go back to the word of God, to, to go back to quiet, to contemplation, to meditation. And we do see that in Gregory. And, you know, Gregory actually gets an awful lot done as well. I mean, as Pope, he's still, he's making sure that the poor 
are fed every yeah. day. He's rebuilding uh, uh, aqueducts churches, and, yeah, aqueducts, all of this, all of this infrastructure after being so ravaged by war, and he's he's dealing with these incredible crises uh, at the time that he um, uh, acceded to the papal throne. There was actually a terrible fl uh, plague that was that was ravaging Rome, wow. right? Um, all these all these crises, right? That's right. Doesn't he do something about this plague? I mean, thinking of our situation with COVID, he 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 has some procession or he does some yeah, special. Yeah, you can read oh, about it. He goes to St. Mary Majors, right? Is that what he does? He does well, they, a no, they do they do a, they do a procession. Uh, you can read about it in um, end uh, Gregory of Tours' uh, History of the Franks. He talks okay. about uh, the rise uh -huh. of Gregory to uh, the papacy. And describes this this procession, and even gives us at least you know uh, his version of the words of, of the sermon that, that Gregory preached mm. uh, on this occasion. And it's it's challenging reading, right? Um, because he's not um, he's not coddling his people. That's right. And he's reminding them that that uh, that physical illness is one thing, but the real malady, the real danger, is always spiritual sickness. Yeah, he's such a wise pastor. And he, and I even like, he even challenges, he, I mean, there's a certain ownership he takes. Like when he deals with the pandemic, he says, we need to repent. Mm -hmm. And so exactly. he calls everybody to repentance. And so, you know, he does this um, procession to St. Mary Majors, uh, this pilgrimage in internal to Rome, calling upon all of Rome to come and pray and do penance mm -hmm. so that the plague would leave. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because you don't see that so much today. I, I think... You know, a lot of Christians might say, well, maybe maybe our ills are, you know, a judgment. But even the fringes who say this is a divine judgment, they don't then do penance typically. This is mm. this is what's meaningful about, I think. The well, early... they usually think it's someone else's sins. Exactly. That's the problem is mm -hmm. we don't own it. And so Gregory owned it. I mean, that this is what this is what Daniel does. He's the model yeah. of this. You know, Daniel and praying Lord, in, in, right? yeah. in his baptism. Yep. Right, identifying with sinners, even though he's not a sinner. And yeah. John says, "You should be baptizing me." Right, right, right. But how does he fulfill all righteousness by identifying with the people of God, with sinful Israel, with, yep. with sinful Israel, and yeah. taking on their penance? Yeah, so very powerful. Um, so Gregory's just a, a great insight there. Well, you know, one of the things that Gregory did is he was a great preacher of the Word of God. You've, you've mm -hmm. mentioned John that his love for Scripture, and, he, and I love how you said it that as a monk he lives this contemplative life, and he was obviously. Had had a deep study and uh, you know educational background, but then when he's thrust into being pope and having to serve in a wider way, he uses the office of of bishop because he sees himself as a bishop of Rome. He uses the office. He talks about this in the pastoral rule that you, as a bishop, you're supposed to preach and teach in imitation of Christ. That that's one of the most important aspects of your office, and. Um, and so you have the royal office of governing, but you also have the prophetic office of teaching and, the, and, the, and as well as the priestly office. And he, he talks about the importance of preaching, but he lives that. So his homilies on Ezekiel, he's got many homilies. We've lost some of them, the ones I guess he did on the prophets and the earlier historical books, the Old Testament. Unfortunately, we don't have anymore. But his homilies on Ezekiel are really powerful. And, and, and in homily 7, he talks about Ezekiel's opening vision of the, this divine chariot and you know the a wheel within a wheel and he talks about the symbolism and meaning of that and he one of the things he says is that for the reader of scripture the reader of the word of god scripture will expand as the reader grows in other words 
And, and he really suggests that scripture, the meaning of scripture is infinite because it reflects the truth about God who is infinite. And he's drawing on origin, uh, mm -hmm. it would seem, on a couple of those things. I know that, uh, you know, Henri de Lubac talks about how origin influenced Gregory, but this idea that you grow, uh, what your reading of scripture expands as your own spiritual life expands. Yeah, you know, Gregory is really interesting in this regard because um, we kind of uh, skipped over this part a little bit in his life. I mean, maybe, maybe we alluded to it briefly, but um, uh, after Gregory had been in the monastery for about five years, uh, he was called out by the Pope, he was ordained a deacon, and he was sent to Constantinople as the Pope's permanent emissary there. And, um, and while he was there, he did live with other kind of Italian monks in the Latin quarter of the city. Uh, but we know that he was also exposed to uh, a lot of the Greek fathers and to uh, Greek monasticism and things like that. And so uh, in many ways, uh, he, he, um, he fits right in with the Greek fathers. And yet, there's also a very deep Augustinian current to his thought. And that, that image actually of scripture growing uh, with its reader comes right out of the Confessions, book, book three, right? Um, that, that we have to make ourselves small, right? In order, to, in order to conform ourselves to the humility of our Lord um, that's on display in the scriptures. But then that it's, it's sort of like what G.K. Chesterton said about, about the church, right? That it's, it's bigger on the, on the inside than it is on the outside. Right. And um, and yeah, there's there's a wonderful line, Tim. Um, and, uh, oh, and I do want to have a shout out to Origen. We have 14 of Origen's homilies on uh, Ezekiel that have come down to us in Latin translation. So certainly Gregory uh, was was deeply influenced by those. They've been translated by Jerome uh, and have been preserved um, in that form. But uh, it, the, your comment about scripture growing reminds me of uh, one of, I think, justly the most famous quotations from Gregory, which is actually in um, a kind of uh, uh, introductory letter at the beginning of his Moralia on Job, uh, which, by the way, is so thorough and so amazing that when St. Thomas Aquinas sets out to comment on Job, he says, I'm only going to give a literal explanation of Job because St. Gregory has already said everything that can be said about the moral sense. <laughs> which is just stunning yeah. for Aquinas. Aquinas said there's nothing for me to do here. Exactly. Wow. He must have done a good job. Yes, indeed. But he says that um, he's talking about Scripture and, and how God feeds us with Scripture, and it's, it's really beautiful. And then he says, Scripture is like a river that is both shallow and deep. And he said that Scripture is it's shallow enough that a lamb can safely wade in it. Right? And so in other words, no matter where you're starting, if you think, I don't know anything about the Bible, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'll get confused, I'm not sure where to start, it's okay. It's okay, right? Get into God's word. Even, even the, the beginner, right, which he's representing here as a lamb, mm -hmm. can stand safely in the stream. And yet, and yet, as you grow, the, the, the water gets deeper and deeper. And so he says, not only can a lamb stand in it safely, but an elephant can swim freely in it. Uh, it's, I love that quote, and it's just it, it's so beautiful because the, he's, he's captured by the depth and breadth of the Word of God. Mm. And uh, like Augustine, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know, um, Augustine loved the Word of God. And, and the reason he loved it so much is that it was the way to hear God speak normally in their regular day-to-day -day prayer life and to learn about God. And, and there's a depth to Scripture because there's a depth to God. And, you know, and I think that's what... You know, Gregory's alluding to in that seventh homily on Ezekiel is that, you know, you can't 
you can't you can't reach. All right, I've done scripture. I know that it's I, I've mastered it. It's you. Right. No one can, right. uh, because it's about God and it's God's word. And so it not only does it last forever, but its depth is beyond anything that we can ever plumb uh, with the human mind. So it's it's really extraordinary. So you know, and he he really nourished himself on that word of God consistently. And I, and I want to go back to this tension between the active life and the contemplative life, because I think all, all of us in the world who aren't monks and religious. Um, we struggle with this, right? We have to navigate. We have to make decisions. We have to deal with the world. Maybe you to... do, but I've perfected it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, then teach no, me, we, please. We, I... No, we all do. We all yeah. do. And, and Gregory did. Yeah. Right? Gregory did not say, hey, guys, I've found the formula. I've got just the right way to balance this. And that's why I, I, I talked really about that creative tension, right? Mm -hmm. He thinks that we shouldn't, of course we shouldn't be satisfied, mm -hmm. right, until we're actually satisfied with the very vision of God. Mm. And that, that great tension that we, and I, I guess if we have that tension with living the active life and prayer life, that uh, we're, right, we're right in the struggle, right, with Gregory. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I'm always struck as ha having led something small like the Augustine suit, which is, which is grown bigger than I ever thought it would. He uh, talks about the, the burden of office mm. and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us, I, I think the greatest burden, though, is the burden of souls. And, and I think we as parents have that burden. To be responsible for our children and our family mm -hmm. is a great burden. And he talks about the weight of that, but how we have to keep giving that back to God for, for him to guide us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What else should we talk about with Gregory? Well, you know, two, two other things that kind of occur to me, Tim, mm -hmm. that uh, I think we could talk about. One is just, you know, sometimes people will talk about uh, Charlemagne, Right, the great uh, Frankish ruler, the first uh, emperor the, of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, they kind of think of him as the founder of Europe. As the, yeah, the father of Europe. And I want to make a case that really it should be Gregory. Wow. And, you know, the reason I say is because you know, we mentioned that Gregory spent all his time in Constantinople, and he is always in contact. He, he doesn't want to lose touch uh, with, um, with the Eastern Empire, uh, with the church there. Uh, with the emperor, anything like that. But on the other hand, he's also looking west and he's looking north. And I think it's a really important thing he did, right? In, um, in Spain, you've got a Visigothic kingdom. The Visigoths were a group of barbarians who kind of moved through Europe, sacking Rome along the way, in the fourth and fifth centuries and wound up in Spain. They'd been Aryan Christians until near the end of the sixth century, but they'd become Catholic. And so Gregory is kind of establishing closer relations mm -hmm. Uh, with them. So you think about all the richness of medieval Spain, the centuries of the Reconquista, all, all those wonderful cultural riches that come out of the Mozarabic liturgy, all those things. Uh, so it's foundational. Right? With and and we're, we're, we're so closely linked wow. with it because of Gregory, mm. right? Uh, looking north, Christ, the Christ, there were Christians in England, in the British Isles, oh, this is but nice. really after the Romans left, uh, they were kind of abandoned. And they'd suffered all these invasions from the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes. This is then why we talk about Anglo-Saxon England. And those were all pagans. Mm -hmm. So Christians in the British Isles had been largely kind of cut off from everyone else. And so Gregory sends missionaries to go and, uh, and Christianize the pagans, but also to reestablish uh, a close relationship with the Christians in the British Isles. Yeah, and of course he's going to send Augustine. Uh, Augustine of Canterbury. Uh, yeah. Augustine of Canterbury. Different from Augustine different, of Hippo, Different Augustine, but, but different St. Augustine. Yeah, yeah. but a, a different Augustine of Canterbury, which will be so foundational for the faith in England 
and then later on, absolutely, I, you know, even Ireland will have influence there too. Of course, Patrick will have his say. But, but that's earlier. Yeah, no, Patrick's earlier. Yeah, but but the English. What I'm just saying is that even with Augustine bringing, they, they're they're going to try to pull the Irish back to the liturgical calendar. Yeah, uh, yeah, synod of Whitby. So the, it takes a while, but by yeah. the end of the seventh century, things are looking pretty good. But again, this is <laughs> Gregory the Great and his uh, tremendous influence. I mean, we didn't even talk about Augustine of Canterbury as no, one of the big things he did. We'll have to save that for another time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, but he's a visionary. He sends him out. Well, you know, what, one, one last point that occurs to me, Tim, I think is really important is it's really tempting for us to think, always think the grass is greener on the other side, mm -hmm. right? And we can think that as believers. If only I lived in this time. If only I lived in this place. And Augustine, or Augustine, sorry, Gregory yeah. actually wrote a series of dialogues about Italian saints, the most famous of which is St. Benedict of Nursia. This is actually how we know about the life of St. Benedict is because of book two of Gregory's dialogues. But he wrote that for Christians in Italy who looked around and said, what a mess, right? Mm. God's not working here. He's not performing miracles like he does in other places. Maybe he's abandoned us. And Gregory felt like it was so important then to collect these stories of Italian saints, right? And, and this, we can kind of come back full circle to St. John Paul II, right? Another great pope who wanted us to know holiness is real. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is real and he is active and he is just as powerful now as he was in the first century or the second century, the third century, the fourth century. And he can raise up saints today and he has raised up saints today, and he wants each of us to be one of those saints. Wow. I, I, you know, that, that gives us a lot of hope because I think that um, so many people today feel like, well, the church has got its own struggles and the world has these great struggles. But that's, as we know history, and as you know church history, the world is oftentimes in crisis, and, and so is the church, oftentimes in need of reform. And so when we see these different moments, we pray that God will give us leadership and saints like St. Saint Gregory the Great. And so we need those in our day, like St. John Paul II and many others. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to everybody who's been supporting us through the Mission Circle. We added uh, almost 3,000 people in the month of August. So I'm so grateful for all of you who have joined. You make this happen, and we're very grateful. God bless you. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.